0: Open your Bibles, if you would please, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. This year, we have studied the two books, Ruth and Esther, books in the Old Testament, which are named after women, as these books tell their stories. It was my intention... Having finished Esther before I left for Brunei, when I got back, I would spend at least one Sunday comparing and contrasting the two women, Ruth and Esther. And the Lord willing, I will do that next Sunday. But today I would like us to consider a third woman mentioned in the New Testament in the Gospel of Luke here in chapter seven, who is unnamed, which really has double significance, I think, in contrast to the other character in the story, Simon the Pharisee, and in contrast to Ruth and Esther What I propose to do today is to ask a series of questions, to suggest answers to them, and then to ask another series of questions and seeking to find how it all applies to us, the application to us today. Let's read the story first, and then we'll look at it more closely. Beginning in verse number 36. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the, debt, the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, but you did not give me any water for my feet. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You'll notice that the story contains a story within it, a a parable. The story itself seems rather straightforward. Jesus is invited to the house of a man named Simon, who is a Pharisee. Just briefly, who are the Pharisees? It's a school of thought within Judaism. Their name comes from the word meaning set apart or separated. When the temple was destroyed and they went into exile, the Jews no longer had a place to worship. And this is where we find in the exile the emergence of the synagogues. At the temple, only the Levites could do the services. But in the synagogue any man could and so we find sort of the arising of a class of people known as teachers or rabbis in the 2nd century BC the pharisees really began to emerge at this point as an important part of jewish society they were the most expert and accurate expert expositors of the jewish law so says josephus what they did basically was they extended the old testament scripture beyond the temple and they applied the law to everyday things things that one might consider mundane they became the basis of what today we call rabbinic Judaism they believed that there were 613 commandments in the Old Testament including positive commandments that is the things we are supposed to do and negative commandments to abstain from certain things the negative commandments 365 is in the number of days of the year and the positive commandments, 248. This is ascribed to the number of bones in the human body and the main organs. There are many things I could tell you about the Pharisees, but one thing really stands out for our purposes in the lesson today. Pharisees took meals within fellowships at which like-minded fellows would share the foods and the company they considered pure. That is to say, Pharisees ate with other Pharisees. They ate with people that they considered pure. While they are eating in this Pharisee's house, and one would assume that everybody was a Pharisee except Jesus, a woman comes in and she begins weeping. I don't know that it was her intent uh, to wet Jesus' feet with her tears, but I think in, in a burst of emotion she begins to weep and his feet are wet and... Instead of getting a towel, she uses her hair to dry his feet, and then she pours perfume on them. Simon is properly offended, concludes that Jesus cannot be a special person, he cannot be a prophet, because if he was, he would know what kind of sinful woman was touching him. This leads to the conversation, which we will look at in a bit. But I will ask a series of questions. The first question is, why did Simon invite Jesus to his house? Clearly, Jesus is not a Pharisee, and the company he kept was not considered pure, generally speaking. He ate with sinners and tax collectors. So the fact that a Pharisee would invite Jesus to his house for a meal is striking, and and something I think we really need to consider more closely. In reality, we'd only be guessing because we're not told. But led by history in the text, we can make certain assumptions. Was it curiosity? Could it be that he was curious? Uh, perhaps intellectual or theological curiosity. He had heard about this teacher, Jesus. He wants to know more from him rather than simply about him. He's heard about this teacher from Nazareth, but now he wants to hear it directly from him. Or could it be, as has been suggested, that Simon is showing off? In the age of celebrity, I think we understand that people enjoy having some well kno- someone who is well-known nearby. We don't know how many dinner invitations Jesus got, but that Simon was able to get the teacher or the rabbi, Jesus, to come to his house for dinner was a major coup. But Whatever the reason was that Simon invited Jesus to his house, I want you to think on this. From the text, we see that there is no warmth whatsoever demonstrated by Simon the host. Uh, Simon says to him, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. This is a traditional thing that you do when you have guests. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. Again, a sign of warmth and friendship. Uh, But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. I think what becomes clear, at least to me, is that this meal is about Simon. It's about Simon. It's not about Jesus. Simon has bagged a celebrity. And so this event, in his mind, is really about him. And thinking on this passage, I was reminded of the last appearance of uh, Oprah Winfrey on uh, the David Letterman show before his show uh, ended. And they were talking about selfies and, and how they really disliked it when people wanted to take selfies with them. Of course, they then did a selfie together uh, right then and there, but she, she proceeded to tell a story that a woman came up to her once and said, I'd like to get a picture with you. I'd like to get a selfie with you. And Oprah said, okay. And for some reason, the woman was having difficulty getting it done. And so Oprah finally said, why don't you just take a picture of me? To which the woman retorted, I don't want a picture of you. I want a picture of me with you. So it's not about Oprah. It's about the woman with Oprah. And to me, this is what I see with Simon. He doesn't want a picture of Jesus. He wants a picture of him with Jesus. It's all about him. And I think it is seen in the fact that there is no warmth whatsoever as a host that traditionally in Jewish society, I think, was expected. This is all about Jesus being at Simon's house. So this leads to the second question. Why did Jesus accept the invitation? Again, I think we must tread lightly. We can't really fully know the reason. But I would suggest to you, from what we read of Jesus in the Gospels, that the acceptance of the invitation was not by default, but by design. Jesus knows the Pharisees. He knows what they believe, what they practice, what they think of him. If we had been there, if we had been among his advisors, we would have probably said, you need, you need to refuse this invitation. This can only end badly. Jesus in the house of a Pharisee does not, will not come out well. But Jesus accepts the invitation. After all, he does eat with sinners. And while Simon might not put himself in that category, he is a sinner, as are we all. We don't know what Jesus knew ahead of time. Did he know the woman would come in? Did he know this would uh, trigger a controversy, to which, you know, as a result of which Simon would uh, question his credentials, and then Jesus would have an opportunity to speak the truth to him? What we do know is that Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, accepted the invitation to eat at Simon's house. And something amazing, truly amazing and wonderful happened as a result of his accepting this invitation. The third question is, why did this woman worship Jesus? If you look at verses 37 and 38, When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisees' house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. See, while they are eating, they're reclining, the woman comes in, wets his feet with her tears, wipes them with her hair, kisses his feet, and pours perfume on them. Let's let's break this down a bit. The central item here I think is the alabaster jar of perfume it's a container without handles it has a long neck and that is to be broken and the perfume be poured out it's it's not reusable it's one time only it tended to be very expensive and used only on the most special of occasions the scene is of a group of men there are no women there reclining on couches leaning on their left elbows and then getting food with their right hands Their heads are toward the table. Their feet are away from the table. Sandals are removed before reclining. Therefore, the woman is able to approach Jesus without causing any disturbance, if you wish, without any difficulty. I think it's possible that it was her intent from the very beginning to pour the perfume on the feet of Jesus. But when she gets there, she is overcome by emotion and begins to weep. And so she washes away The tears with her hair, she kisses his feet and then she pours the perfume. By the way, that she would wipe his feet with her hair is really unusual because Jewish women tended to keep their hair tied up and not loose. She then breaks the alabaster jar and pours the perfume on his feet. Which, I'm not an expert on perfume, but that's not normally where you pour perfume. In real humility, she anoints the feet of Jesus. So I think I'm safe in assuming that this woman, in fact, is worshiping Jesus. One more thing. It took real courage for her, a known sinner in that town, to enter the house of a Pharisee. Meals were not private in the way that you know, we close the door when we're ready to eat. People could sort of wander in and out and listen to the conversation without eating. Um, yeah, but not a sinner. And yet she comes in, a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, and she worships Jesus. But why? Why does she do this? I think we learn the answer from the exchange between Jesus and Simon. So again, let me read it to you: the parable in verses 40 to 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owned a certain, owed a certain man, a certain money lender. Uh, owed, let me start over. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. The parable seems straightforward enough, I think, until the end. Two men owe money to a certain moneylender. Neither one of them can repay what they owe, and he cancels the debt of both. So the question is, which of them will love him more? The problem for me is, I don't think that money is the word that comes to mind in this situation, especially in connection with a money lender. Appreciate, maybe. Maybe like on his Facebook page. But why love? Well, it's a parable, so we'll go with it. What we find, or should find interesting, is Simon's reply. It's almost a begrudging answer, a reluctant answer. I suppose, he says, I guess the guy who had the bigger debt canceled. Does he see where this is going? The application then is made in verses 44 to 47. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. What is seen as the canceling of debts in the parable is forgiveness in the application. There are many things about this story that I find fascinating. But if you look at verse number 44, did you notice this? That in fact, Jesus turns toward the woman and then speaks to Simon. It seems like if he's going to talk to Simon, he should look at Simon. But he's in fact looking at the woman and then speaks to Simon. And what he tells him, in essence, is this woman worshipped me and Simon, you did not. And why did she? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. This is why she loved much, as is seen in her worship. And this is not the case with Simon, who seems to have no awareness of sin and forgiveness. Unlike the psalmist, as Titus reminded us last week, he pointed out in Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sin, sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. You know, We're not given any background in this story to either of the characters, the woman and Simon. But I think we can assume that both of them had heard the message of Jesus, which was repentance and forgiveness, echoing what is heard in the Old Testament. Uh, Ben, last week, uh, in the promise of forgiveness, read from uh, Isaiah 30, in repentance and rest is your salvation. We can assume that this woman who was regarded as a sinner, and about whom Jesus had spoken of her many sins, had in fact repented and found forgiveness which results in a display of worship filled with great emotion because her sins have been forgiven. Simon had heard the same message, but he has not repented. Why should he? He sees no need for it. He's a Pharisee. He's a separated one. This woman is a sinner. That's a different story. And the difference is seen in how they treat Jesus. Because her sins have been forgiven, she worships Jesus. But the group at the dinner may not have gotten the point. So Jesus makes the point clear and then offends them all. Look at verses 48 and 49. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? That her sins had been forgiven, I think should have been evident to those at the dinner. But they could only see her sins, her past sins. They could not understand or appreciate that, in fact, this is a different woman. She's been changed. Her sins have been forgiven. And instead, they are offended that they assume that Jesus is assuming the divine prerogative and forgives her sins. I think there are two ways to look at verse number 48. The first is to say that Jesus says, I am forgiving your sins. And I I don't discount that possibility. Or we could understand that Jesus wants the woman and the other people at the meal to understand that something has happened that she can't put into words, that she really can't explain, and they can't either. Her sins have been forgiven. That's why she comes in and does what she does, because her sins have been forgiven. She can't explain it. A burden has been lifted. Her outlook is different. A change has come over her. But it is Jesus who has to articulate it for her. Woman, your sins have been forgiven. That's what's happened to you. That's why you're doing this. And for the other people there who are like, what is going on? That Jesus would allow this woman to touch him. It's like, no, her sins have been forgiven. And that's why she's doing this. Then Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith is the means of receiving God's good gift. She has received the good gift of God's grace, which is demonstrated in forgiveness and salvation. And so he tells her, go in peace. And the story ends. I'd like to point out one more thing before moving on to the questions of application. I find it fascinating and worth considering that the Pharisee's name is given, Simon, but not the woman's. If you know anything about the Gospel of Luke, about Luke as a writer, he was very, very detail-oriented, very, very careful about details. you think he couldn't have found out this woman's name. I think he purposely, on, on purpose, he leaves her name out. I may be reading too much into it, but I think Simon got what he wanted. He bagged a celebrity. He got his name in the papers. He is the only Pharisee mentioned by name in the Gospels. Is that what you want? You got it. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, I tell you the truth, they have received the reward in full. Yeah, Simon, you wanted it. You got it. The woman got what she wanted. And that was to worship Jesus. She didn't know it, I think, at the beginning, but Jesus tells her, let me explain to you what's going on. You have been forgiven. Your many sins have been forgiven. So, let's make the application. Let me ask a series of questions to provoke our thinking, thinking and hopefully open our hearts to receive the truth of God's word. What is forgiveness? In the words of the parable Jesus tells Simon, it is a canceling of a debt. Titus pointed out to us last Sunday that in God's system of justice there must be payment for sin. But with forgiveness and through the person of Jesus, it's been canceled The debt has been canceled. What is sin? Simply put, it is breaking God's law, either by commission, doing the things we should not do, or omission, failing to do the things we should do. Have you sinned? I know that many of you could easily quote to me what Paul wrote to the Romans, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But indulge me, if you will, for a moment. Have you sinned? Do you have an awareness that you are a sinner and that you have sinned? Let me ask another question. Have you been forgiven? Up to this point, these questions in the application might seem pretty elementary, pretty basic stuff. But this question is life and death. Have you been forgiven? Perhaps we should ask another question. And it will flesh this out a bit. Do you feel forgiven? Here, I think perhaps we get to the heart of the matter. We may indeed know, if you wish, intellectually, what sin is, what forgiveness is, that we have sinned, that we've been forgiven. But either we have forgotten these profound truths or we may not have a sense of it being true in our lives. We almost seem to revel in guilt. In the paragraph following the one that we gave out today, uh, this article on Babette's Feast, the author writes, In our little worlds of perfect justice, we assume that our failures will frustrate God's purposes and disqualify us from joy. We therefore live as if guilt and regret are righteous, fear holy, despair a wise conclusion to draw from the mess we have made. But God has far too much at stake in us for that to be true. By God's grace, He has forgiven us. So why do we live as though guilt and regret are righteous? I would suggest that we have forgotten that we are forgiven. Let me ask one more question. How much do you love God? Or perhaps I should phrase it this way. Do you struggle to love God? Perhaps we do because we have forgotten that we are forgiven. We're more like Simon than we care to admit. When we should be like the woman whose name we are not told, had a true sense of forgiveness even though she could not articulate it. Jesus has to speak the words. She had been forgiven. So here we are today. The beginning of the service, we are told that we've come together to worship God. But why are we here? Are we like Simon? Are we here for a selfie with God? rather than to worship Him for who He is and what He's done? Why are we here? We said we read together the prayer of confession, but do we have a real sense that we have been forgiven? Are we content to be like this unnamed woman? The woman in our passage. It's not a Ruth, not an Esther. We don't know her name. But a woman who is marked by forgiveness and who wanted to, and in fact did, worship Jesus. A change had come in her life. She had been forgiven. If we are the people of God, we have been forgiven. I think we've just forgotten it. And I think part of the reason that we've forgotten is because we've, we've really conveniently set aside that we are sinners. In the last hymn, we sang Amazing Grace, familiar enough as a hymn. The first line, that saved a wretch like me. Um, I remember someone saying that he attended a church where they changed that line. That said, that saved a one like me. You know don't, don't, you know, don't want to talk about us being wretches. And for those of us raising Christian homes, we may almost envy this woman because she had many sins. And those sins are forgiven. Um, newsflash we all have had and continue to have many sins and just as Jesus had forgiven her sins he has forgiven our sins and we are to respond in worship let's pray together Father sometimes we we are so familiar with things that we lose the impact the import what's being said by your spirit may we be like this woman and weep for joy at the forgiveness you have given us freely graciously may we let go of guilt and regret there's plenty of that to go around your grace, you have worked in our lives and you have forgiven our sins and we are to respond in love and in worship. In humility, like this woman, weeping and wiping your feet with our hair, kissing your feet, pouring perfume on them because of what you have done. May your spirit in each of our hearts light of fire, may we see this truth anew today. And may it result in love and worship for you who have loved us so freely and who will not let us go. May we rejoice in the forgiveness that Christ has purchased for us. I thank you that you have gathered us together today to worship you. It may be that when we began, we didn't really have a right sense of things, but by your spirit and your grace, may we now see why we are here, how gracious you are to bring us together. May now your spirit and your grace go with us as we leave this place. May we have a sense of your forgiveness and your presence.